The material discussed and presented in this podcast is for general information only, and any reliance on such material is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice of any kind, including financial advice. Reference to any information, product, process, service, or organization does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by pros. Views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement by pros of them or any entity they represent. Views expressed by pros employees are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, standards, or policies of pros or any of its directors, officers, employees, or shareholders. Welcome to Interface, a podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower at Pros. Empower is dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining Black talent at Pros. Pros helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in the digital economy. I'm one of your hosts, Jenny Plummer. I'm joined with Matthew Negron. I always feel like I have the accent on there. And our guest today is Kylie Summers, founder of Spend Debt. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, pleasure to meet uh, both of you. And I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Yes, it'd be awesome. Um, definitely, was, you know, looking through your um, posts on LinkedIn and, and um, various social media about fintech. I in Houston, which I'd like to hear a lot more about. Um, also mention of Bank America, of Bank of America Business Breakthrough Lab. So I want to know all about that. But can we start out with your origin story? How did you get to be, uh, you know, how did you become passionate about the things you you are passionate about, and what was what's your story? Oh, that's a that's a loaded question, um, but it's a it's a necessary question. Um, what I would tell you is, just like anybody, you know, we always have our first experience through somebody else's lenses, right, or lens. And my first experience with money uh, as a fintech founder was through my mom, a single mother of of three three boys i'm the middle of three and i watch her you know uh rob peter to pay paul to make ends meet to to make do for my brothers and i and you know as i matriculated through life uh, became the first generation college graduate in the family you know life started for me and i had my introduction to money and um you know thinking about the sacrifices my mom made to put me in the position that I was in at that time, um, I began to, it, it began to just to resonate with me. And so year after graduating from college, you know, between my, my then girlfriend, but now wife, uh, we accumulated over 140 plus thousand dollars of consumer debt. And so she comes from the same humble beginnings that, that I, uh, I, I come from. And so just thinking about reliving our parents' generation, that was on our, our minds. And, and so um, that started this journey in, in wanting to become debt-free so we can live a different lifestyle. Um, the lifestyle that we were you know, working to, um, to have and what our mother sacrificed for us to have. Um, and so seven and a half years later, uh, we became debt-free. Uh, and once we became debt-free, 
we uh, we start to tell family and friends about our story, and we realize there's other people suffering from consumer debt, and we wanted to help them. And so God planted this idea in my head to help people spend money and pay off debt at the same time. And with that idea, um, we begin to uh, follow it. Um, I ignored it at first, uh, but it came back. Uh, a guy has a funny way of, of getting your attention. Uh, and then uh, we, we began to follow it. In the top of 2016, we, we began to follow it as a company and, and to, to LLC it and, and begin to kind of build out, you know, what, what spend that is today. So, um, you know, uh, it's a lot, um, you know, other inputs that I'm sure that we'll get to as we have the discussion today. But um, holistically, that is the origin story on how we got started and kind of what we're doing today. Well, congrats on being debt-free. Um, you mentioned you are first-generation college. Um, so what did you, you know, what did you study in, in school um, and why? Uh, very good question. Um, and uh, my daughter's going to help me tell this story as well here in the background. But uh, I am an electrical engineer uh, by degree. And... Uh, how did I land on engineering or electrical engineering? I tell you, it was because of, of my high school junior and senior year. I participated in the class, uh, took a class, uh, electronics class, and we were building like little odds and ends, a little shock toy, uh, a car, and just all these little fun kits that you can buy, right? And you can solder the pieces onto the 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 the, uh, um, the, the board, and, the, and I found interest in that uh you know newton's law the you know voltage equals you know uh, resistance times the uh, uh current like I, all, like so it, it, all those things it was just like i like this stuff and and i took the second part of that class in high school and i fell in love with it and i was like i don't know what else i would do in in college or majoring in college i was like engineering sounds intriguing i like to solve problems you know, I, I like this electronics class, electrical engineering. It is, and so um, yeah, that that's really how I settled on becoming a, an electrical engineer. Um, but I would say this: post uh, college, or even uh -huh. I guess during college, I found that it was interesting, like doing all of the kind of the true technical engineering stuff. But I didn't have a true passion for that part of it. Because I felt like it was it was so isolating. It was so like in this box, being this scientist, and my personality wasn't a good fit for me. And so I, you know, college is more about learning about yourself, right? As well as learning kind of this domain expertise. And so understanding more about myself, learning this domain expertise, I was like, okay, how can I take this domain expertise, uh, this this knowledge, and apply it in the field that you know I can utilize who I am. And manufacturing became that um, that go to market, if you will, for my degree for me that I felt mm -hmm. like I had a greater chance of having a successful career. And so I began to take internships um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, once once I graduated, I got offered uh, a full time opportunity in, in manufacturing engineering. OK, and so so you got electrical engineering, you have the manufacturing um, did that help you in, in founding your company in any way? 
I think everything works for your good, right? And, and it's uh-huh. like it's like it's like you know the 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 story. Watch my mom, me finding out about who I am in college, me learning the domain expertise of being an engineer. But then when you get and you start to work in that field. Mm-hmm. A lot of things happen, right? You, you're forming this whole identity of being of doing this adulting thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but very specific to the job, um, it's a lot of problems you have to solve. Not only technical problems, but there's also people problems. Because you know, I walked into a professional career out the gate as a manager, managing you know um, the operations. And so it's about getting or, you know, getting results through people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so with that, it's being able to identify opportunities uh, within the the, the processes and systems and being Mm -hmm. able to communicate what those are uh, and being able to get people interested enough to help you solve them. And so from that standpoint, absolutely, um, you know, I learned a lot. But from the business side, you get to understand like understand what KPIs are, or you know, key performance indicators, or they call them KPMs, key performance uh, metrics or measures. Like you, you begin to understand what financials are. Like, did we make money? Did we lose money? Where are those, you know, the operation inefficiencies? Where do they lie? So you get to hear all these things, right? While you know, being a part of a, a, a corporate company, I work for PepsiCo Frito Lay, so we were making chips. So we, you know, most people just know, hey, let me get a bag of chips and let me pop a Dorito or a Cheeto, um, but it's a big side to that, right? And so, like, you get to see the other side of that. It's like, oh my god, you know, it's like it's some, it's some, it's some real business here. And so, like, I, I took all of all of that, the operational part, the business part. Uh, the, the technical part of, of my job at times and different roles that I had and all that, you know, contributed to, you know, building and building spend it. Uh, great. That was actually what I was, I was curious about connecting the dots. So you told us about your passions in consumer debt, like uh, getting rid of that. And then your background, electrical engineering. Can you talk more about the pivot from electrical engineering into the, the finance realm um, and like how much expertise do you have to know or did you have to kind of learn? I'm always interested in when people like career pivots. Yeah, very, very good. Very good question. Um, look, I don't have a finance background uh, and mm-hmm. welcome Iris uh, Summers to the show. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't have a finance background and, and, I, and I won't pretend to have a finance background. But what I what I do have though is is, is personal experience with, with my own finances and, and watching people close to me um, and watching people close to me you know deal with finances and so that is what I I have used in an approach to, to solving or to build spend at um, um, more more I guess particular in the the idea of of launching spend at was. You, you have you have debt, you want to get out. That that personal finance, what do we do? You know, it's like either we gotta go make more money, have more income, right? Or or we need to reduce kind of the expenses that we have. 
Um, and so it, that's really, you know, what it came down to is taking inventory of, of our personal thing. It was less about the technical stuff. It was less about the engineering. It, it was less about all of that stuff. Right. It was more about like really like taking a deep dive into the problem. And I think my analytical mind in engineering you know, gave us it gave us gave us ability to to kind of think through my wife and I kind of think through how to go about analyzing a problem, putting everything up, you know, on the board. And then being able to do process of elimination of, of, of tactics to take to help resolve our, our issue. So um, hopefully that that kind of give you an insight or lens of our approach to the problem um, um, uh -huh. versus kind of using this exact engineering that we learned in school to approach it. It was some of that, but it wasn't as high tech as you know one may think or thought it was. Right. So how do you define your role in the company? I know you founded it, but like on a daily basis, like, you know, what, what is, you know, what is your responsibilities? You know, what, what does that entail? Uh, that's a great question. Look, um, you wear many hats. I'm sure you guys probably do the same thing. You wear, you wear many hats. Um, but, but as I, you know, as time has went on, as this journey has, you know, continue to progress. I found myself more on the technical side, uh, and I tell you, like I, I've always in my career never wanted to be technical, but I find myself on the technical side. And what I mean by the technical side is is product, like head of product. That that is where that's the hat that I I, I enjoy wearing, believe it or not, um, because it's the it's the idea of you take nothing, you know, you know nothing, and you build something that the world can use and the ideation process you know uh you know the ui ux part of it and then you have the back end to tie it all together and then you put it out to get a response from the world that mm -hmm. is fascinating that is so fascinating you know what i what, this is what i would relate it to and people always say this growing a business is like raising children right Mm -hmm. They start off being 100% dependent upon you, right? And then as mm -hmm. time goes on, we work them into become ind independents, right? And and mm -hmm. by and you think about the taxes. The taxes say that they are dependents until they hit a certain age, <laughs> right? So it's the same process. So the business is a 100% uh, dependent upon you, right, in the beginning until you have, mm -hmm. until you have capital, until you have customers, right? And so... Uh, it's this, it's just this evolution, and so I've been able to to watch this thing, be, you know, from uh, be evolving this thing from the idea that God gave me, and being able to just kind of knit on it and knit on it and knit on it until it be, became a a real company, and then became a real functioning tool that people are using, and now to have customers, and now to get capital, and now to get feedback in the marketplace, and now to watch people have success. That is that is an honor. So to in short, I would say head of product is what I most enjoy and I didn't, didn't think that I would, but that's kind of the, the, the role that I, 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 I serve in the most and I love serving it. I love the uh, the the metaphor of, of running a business like a, a child as you have a child coming in and out of the, the frame and then relating that back to you even more is you run this business with your wife 
um, can you or your partner, can you talk about kind of what that's like? You know, every advice that I hear is don't run a business with your partner. Um, so how's that been? Uh, here's your chance, you know, like shout her out or really whatever you want to say. <laughs> oh, now look, I'm going to tell you, I am who I am, you know, in, 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 in this a part of my life because of my wife. Uh, and like, shout out to Talisha Summers, my co-pilot, uh, life partner, um, the mother of our children, my wife, like she sees everything. And, um, you know, look, I would, I, look, I told my wife this. I told my wife this. I told her that I never wanted to work with my, my significant other. I told her this very early on in our relationship. Here we are, 15 plus years post-college, building a company together. And what I would tell you today is I should have started 15 years ago working with her because yeah. it has been such a treat, not only to work with my wife, but to be able to be present in my kids' life every day and, and have them a part of the process. Look, you know, you know, see, I'm black, I'm African-American. The way I grew up, this was not a norm. I didn't see this. I wasn't a part of this. I come from a broken home. Um, but both of my daughters, I have an older, oh, oh, my oldest daughter, she's seven. We, I started the business the same time we had her. She had the opportunity to go to every bank around Houston with me, every pitch session that I had. She has been in a room with some powerful and most connected people in this city. And, and I am grateful for that because she's gotten exposure and exposure expands expectations. The things that she's heard, the people that she has met, it has changed how she think about adulting at, at the age of seven. And so I'm most excited to, to be able to have this opportunity to build a company with my wife and also share the opportunity to, to develop and build a company with my kids um, being a part of the process. Um, with, with, uh, this is comment. I'm not sure if you guys, uh, you know, follow. Uh, uh, um, um, well, I'm sure you do. Um, we think about Prince Diana and and just kind of like the the hierarchy, right? They mm -hmm. show pictures of the past, and I mean, even now, uh, with, 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 with you know, late um, Queen Elizabeth. Like just, yeah. just how impactful that is to see the the kids as a part of growing up uh, in mm -hmm. in the family business, right? We want to give our kids that same opportunity, and and why not be able to have that opportunity to do that? And and so anyway, um, to answer you know to the question, uh, Maddie, like it's it's been a joy, it's been a joy to work with my wife, and I, I wouldn't change that for the world. I'm sure she's going to love enjoying listening to that. So yeah. some uh, brownie points for you. And I, I love that exposure expands expectations because, um, yeah, I think even, even like, I think like my father had a pretty interesting career, but I don't know if it's because it was with the government or whatever, but he'd come home and I had no clue what he worked on, but, you know, going back and kind of looking at some of the things he's involved in, I was like, wow, that's very interesting things. And I feel like if 
you're having same things if, if you if if you're having conversations with your family about you know what's in the news right now, but also sharing what you do as a profession kind of gives them a head start to understanding how the business world works, how your professional life is going to work, how you know socializing, networking with people is an important factor of you know their adult lives, right? For, for, for the for most you know most of their lives and pulling them with you or bringing them along with you, I think is a big part of getting them a heads up. I, I always think of like um, Mary Kat, Kate and Ashley Olsen, the Olsen twins, right? They were like Walmart moguls and people were, and they were kind of like running a company at like 18, 20 years old. I, you know, don't fact check me on them as a very young people. And at first you're like, well, how do they know how to do that? And you're like, well, they've been in the meetings. They know how to, you know, how to negotiate a deal. They, you know, they're, they, for for a normal person, yeah, for a normal sixteen year old, that's not something one would normally be exposed to. But since that's been their lives, they they have that experience. And look, in, in, indeed, I, I I you know I have two daughters. I'm a, I'm a girl dad. For all the girl dads out there that's listening, uh, shout out to you guys. Um, being a girl dad, and I we have an affirmation that I, I have them say. A seven-year-old, we say it before she gets out the car, before I drop off at school. And then when I'm uh, in the morning, when I'm done bathing and brushing my, my two-year-old's uh, teeth and, and washing her face, we say, I am black, I am brilliant, and I am beautiful. Here's why this matters. This matters for a lot of reasons. But the number one reason that I want to make sure that they can look themselves in the mirror and say this is the confidence. So being in that boardroom, being in student council as a young kid or being over uh, Girl Scouts or whatever they are a part of, maybe they don't get it right. But it's okay to not get it right. What, what's important for me, for them in that situation, is them to have the confidence in that moment that they can do anything and be what God desired for them to be. That is important. And that is why um, I am excited to be building a company, right? We don't know what's going to happen um, in the future, but in the moment, we're building confidence in them that they can go do and be what God created them to be. And, and that's, that is what I'm excited about. And, and so kids need confidence. I don't care where you are in the world, kids need confidence. And that's, this is what my wife and I are establishing with, with our two young girls. Yeah, totally agree. I was going to ask if you could talk more to the business and kind of what problems you're solving um, at like a less of a high level and more of more concrete. Yeah, absolutely. So, so for those, I haven't really introduced Spindad. Let me, let me, let me take a moment to kind of digress for a second and just, well, what is Spindad, right? Spindad is a financial technology company on a mission to help save a million families from financial fatalities every time they swipe their debit card or have a banking transaction. And we do that using our application that can be found in both app stores, so Google and the uh, uh, Apple store, where you can find us on the URL at spinda.com. But a user will come to our platform, they will create a profile, they'll link the bank account they wanna pay from, such as their Bank of America, check-ins account. Then they tell us the debt account they want to pay. We can pay any consumer debt. 
So, so let's say even Iris knows. Let's say it was uh, their student loans that, that they wanted to pay. Um, and the last step, uh, you define the micropayment. Anything greater than fifty cents. So let's call it a dollar for today's example. After that, you begin spending. So let's take Sarah. Sarah goes to Starbucks faithfully. She loves her cappuccino. Uh, she she's sophisticated. She likes that cup of coffee every day. But it's five dollars. Using spending automatically, one dollar is added to that transaction. Five dollars will go to Starbucks. One dollar will go towards Sarah's student loan. Over the course of the month, we aggregate all of her transactions and send a one-time payment to her student loan debt automatically on her behalf every month. So that is, you know, really the mission of Spend Debt. That is how Spend Debt works. And I would tell you, um, you know, given some quick data points, we were averaging nearly $70 a month to help people pay against their consumer debt. We're paying student loans, credit cards, auto loans, furniture debt, buy now, pay later. We're paying a lot of different consumer debts on behalf of our consumers, even child support, which is a big deal. Um, as well as, as, as well as, um, we, we're able to help them uh, average um, almost eight hundred dollars annually, and so um, we are having impact in family lives, and it is a, 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 a amazing to to be able to support people in their financial journey uh, and allow and help them achieve their goals and probably them hit their goals. Uh, well, and, and Maddie, your question is, your question was uh, uh, more specifically just kind of going in depth, uh, in depth about about the business. Um, how else can I answer that question? I, I feel like I've, I've touched on it, but I want to make sure I did get to all the so questions that you had. That's why we have multiple hosts, because I'm like, well, how is, it, how is this structured? Do you, you know, you have the mobile app team. Do you have a, a Android team versus uh, an Apple team? Um, you talked about, you know, being head of products, you know, product management, usability. Um, that's where my brain is going, but I don't know if that's exactly what Maddie might be thinking about. Um, well, that's process in, yeah, yeah. in figuring so, so. out how to, how to um, productize that idea. Uh, so from a back-end perspective so just let me we're going to talk the technical side of, of around like how we you know built uh the, the, the technical built the team and so um you know we building any company you need, you need capital and you need finances in order to achieve the the result that you want unless you have that internal skill i'm not a coder i didn't i didn't develop it right and so we had to go recruit that and we had to go pay for that and so we originally started now we just had one individual building uh, but we, you know, we, we outgrew him um, and now we have a, a firm and we've been through a couple firms, right? Um, just trying to find the best fit for us. Um, so if you're building an app out there, you look for support. It's, it's about finding the best fit for, you know, what you're doing and, uh, and your style. Uh, we use an agile framework in terms of, you know, uh, running sprints to help, you know, achieve whether it's different milestones we have, it's, it's features and functions that we're, we're trying to add to the application. Um, that's what that's what we use uh, in terms of our our, our structure from our, our, our contracted team, um, as well as you know, it, it, it's always hard to when you have a vision to get others to see your vision. It takes time to get those things instituted. 
and, and it, it, it's a it's a lot of work to to show and to get people uh, to see that. And so, um, what I would say from from the technology side, we spent a lot of time. We, we're on our third or fourth iteration now. We, we spent that because of you know things change, markets change, technology has changed, the different APIs we are using have changed, and and so being able to you know, develop and get the right team. That was the kind of the first objective, but then two, casting that vision of where you want to be uh, in, in, in chunks or in milestones, but then ultimately, hey, what does it look like long term? Uh, and so now that we have that established, we feel like we have a great working model, a great agile environment in order to, you know, uh, continue to hit the milestones to, to produce uh, the product to the world. And and assist people again. It, it, that's why we exist is to help people, um, you know, with their personal finances. Yeah, that's great. The your model kind of reminds me of Acorns, where you know you set up percentage, or I think maybe you you buy something, it's a dollar fifty six, and then you round up to the nearest dollar, and that goes into an investment account. Um, can you talk more about that business model? So I think with Acorns, they might take. A percentage or there's a subscription fee or some uh, management of those investment funds what's the business model yeah so uh you know shout out to um bank of america shout out to you know companies you know, fintech companies like acorns i think you learn what's in the marketplace and and damon john always says the, the shark he always said there's nothing new under the sun right there's nothing new under the sun and so just quickly Bank of America has uh, what they call a Bank of America, or they have to keep the have to keep the change program, and they was kind of like the um, the first to market with this type of uh, financial technology uh, methodology, right? To your point, Maddie, when you spend uh, something, you buy something for a dollar fifty, automatically rounds up to the nearest dollar and takes that difference and put it into a savings account. The same thing with Acorns, right? Instead of going into the savings. They have a spin and invest platform where you can invest that that spare change into you know um, into your investment account with them. Um, we wanted to create a a spin and pay uh, category because at the time there was nothing out there allowed people to spend and pay off debt at the same time. You can spend and save, you can spend and invest, but nothing to allow people to spend and pay. And so, um, Acorns and the, and the likes of Bank of America and most banks have uh, kind of this same um, type of a savings program. They use, to your point, a roundup method. We we call ours a micropayment or an add-on method, meaning we give the control to the consumer. We're not leaving it up to the the cost of the cup of coffee or the cost of the transaction to then you know round up. We want you to know to do the mental accounting to say, you know what, every time I swipe that debit card or every time Amazon pull that transaction out of my account, I know an extra dollar is gone or you know, $5 or, or 50 cents. You can set that micropayment. So that is our differentiator amongst, you know, these spend and invest or spend and save platforms. So that's how we differentiate ourselves in the marketplace by giving the consumer that control. Um, and it's really about the, the mental accounting and the mental math that we want them to be able to do based on their behavior economics. But if we talk about the business model, how we make money, it's a bit different. Um, um, we charge uh, $3.99 a subscription fee um, uh, every month on behalf of our, our consumers. And so that that's how we make money. 
Um, I will say for maybe some small business, a doctor's office or a medium sized business could be a, a dental practice uh, or, or a company that may have a, um, a customer base uh, that they, you know, they collect the accounts receivable from. Our micropayment um, solution is now being um, utilized in the B2B space, meaning we are now helping companies recover accounts receivables uh, every time their customers have a, uh, a, a banking transaction. So what does that look like? So if you are a utility company, as an example, you know, obviously they, they collect their monthly bills every day from the from their end customers. Well, they can now use spend it as a new payment option to help them recover those accounts receivables. Um, you, today you can pay by cash, credit or debit, bill pay, uh, you mail in the check or what have you. Um, you can still use those legacy or traditional payment methods and you can use spend it to make those payments. Um, we are developing these business relationships and selling our, our payment technology, our micropayment technology for these companies to use. Um, and, and it's all being able to provide choice and flexibility in the marketplace um, that is conducive with what consumers want. Um, and last thing I'll say here, when we see the surge in, in fintechs around the world, and one of the leading uh, products is the account the buy now, pay later. Buy now, pay later is huge. Uh, and it's being, you know, it's being uh, placed in all industries, even medical and healthcare, believe it or not. So you can now use it to, to get your, your teeth fixed or to, you know, have that surgery. Um, and, and so it's a payment choice that people are opting for because it helps them solve that financial problem in their household. And so we want to be able to add our payment solution to give people more flexibility and choice uh, as it as relates to them paying that that light bill or, or paying that that hospital bill that they have. And so that's the business model, but there's also all the utility utilities, or I should say use cases and how spending is being used today. So what advice would you have for people that um, have their own ideas um, to found a company or to get into the fintech space? That's a very, very, very good question. Um, what advice? It's so much, so much out there. But what I will say, look, as much as technology has evolved, as much as um, we have access to information. Um, the advice I would say, if there is something that you can think of in your head, begin to flush that thought out. If it's a business that you want to start, begin to flush it out. Um, use YouTube University. Um, start to take that idea, put it on paper, and go attract the necessary things you need, you think you need, in order to stand up that, that fintech company or stand up that, that business that you have. Um, the advice I would, I, would, I would give is utilize the tools that are in the marketplace today to build what you want and go far. I mean, excuse me, go fast so you can go far. Um, and it's okay to fail. Don't feel like you can't fail. Um, and this is something that, you know, I wish, this is advice right here I wish I would have got because I feel like I couldn't fail. I feel like I had to work, uh, but it's okay to fail. If you think about all the great innovators in the world, they've all failed along their journey. We look at Facebook. 
Mark Zuckerberg was failing, but he was, you know, breaking through glass ceilings at the same time. Him not being able to, uh, you know, have uh, or him, you know, having the, the the security at Harvard, right? And, you know, that was kind of restricting him from doing the things he wanted to do. He ended up having to circumvent that and he kept hitting, but he finally he broke out of that. Once he saw that, he went to other schools and then he went to, you know, outside of that. The, the point is, is you're going to hit a ceiling and that's okay. You're going to feel like you failed, but just keep, just keep going. Just keep, just keep going. Um, and, and use the tools, fail fast. Uh, and the, 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 the last uh, bit of advice is if you, if you don't do it, who will? If you don't do it, who will? Um, and I say this because um, a wise man once said, if you don't step into what God called you to do, you can make a whole generation miss their blessing. Let me say that again. If you don't step into what God has called you to do, that vision, that idea, that nudge you're getting, uh, if you don't step into doing that thing and making it real for the world, you can make a whole generation miss a blessing. And so it's impactful that you take an idea and you you think about it and figure out how to get it to market, how to put it to use. And every idea won't get there. I get that too. But if you don't start that first idea, it may be the third iteration of that first idea, but that may be the breakthrough that you really need. And that may be the purpose that you are called to do in this world. Yeah. Like your contribution or your way to give back kind of, yeah. That's a, that's a good, uh, a beautiful idea is just, yeah, that you're blessing people with your ideas. Uh, so what programs do you think companies should implement to increase the black, the number of black people in technology? Uh, you know, I, 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 if you would ask me this three or four or five years ago, starting out, I would say, oh, it's, it's not my program, it's, it's, it's the capital. Not that capital is not important, because I think the, the numbers show that capital is, 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 is critical, a uh, critical need for all companies, but specifically black founders. Um, but I think when we think about large companies, um, they are used to doing big business, right? They're used to doing big business. And so when you have a startup company that comes along and need resources, they don't necessarily know how to help those small companies because they play it at such a high level. They don't know how to, to really help that small business along. And some are, are working to, to make it right and to get it right. But it's a challenge for them, right? It's a challenge. It's a challenge for them. And so, so when I think about that question, um, is what programs? I don't know if it's 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 it, it's um, a one size fit all. But I think how do you you know you have this this this, this smaller group that can work with not only the big company but also work with the startup to help. Um, integrate or to help grow and scale the idea, to grow and scale capital that's needed or whatever that, you know, black founder needs 
in order to develop. And we've seen, you know, a lot of companies start to, to put that in play. But our experience working with, you know, you know, kind of larger companies, it's it's tricky for them just because they expect the the startups or the other companies that that come alongside them that may want to partner with them or be a customer or or be a client of theirs that they have you know all of these things in place but the reality is we're still trying to you know we're trying we don't let her a we're not at you know we're not at z yet and so there's a there's an alignment you know um there's an alignment opportunity and so i think that the gap between the a and the z has to be fulfilled in order to help smaller companies partner with these large institutions uh and just throwing capital um is not always the best solution uh, because sometimes capital can drown a smaller company believe it or not um but yes we need capital yes i need capital um in, in order to survive but but the program in itself it's really about how do you figure out how to you know, with larger companies work with the smaller companies. And the most important thing is about how do you help you get, get them to that first customer, get them to that proof of concept, get them to um, and the ability where they can start to realize their solution, get feedback on the solution, or even begin to drive revenue from their solution. If, if I say anything, that the latter point that I'm making here is companies to help those sort of founders um, and black companies um, any company for that matter, get to their first customer because at that, that point, that is that is a kind of a swim or a same situation. Um, and, and, and the company can really grow, you know, from that experience. Can you explain how, I'm not as familiar with the startup, startup world, um, how are companies interacting with big companies inter interacting with the smaller companies? Is there some sort of counseling or partnership how does that look yeah so uh, from our experience uh you know how they set it up is obviously you get the partnership you know your brand partnership with this this big big company which is uh which is a phenomenal opportunity right we've been been fortunate enough to to, to have a few of those companies um, um as partners but they typically give you a, an executive mentor or a couple executive mentors that help you, you know, think through your business um, in its current state, but then also thinking about it in the future state, uh, and then trying to help you hit those certain milestones, um, or making the introductions internally within the organizations for some of the people that that can assist you further. Um, so they really become champions. They become advisors uh, to the business, um, and that really works. It gives you exposure and it gives you insight you know, to, to some of these companies, some you may want to partner with or you want them to become clients or customers of yours. It gives you insight into how to make that happen. Um, and more than anything, it's all about relationships. Um, so even if the timing is off, just by you showing up, showing your solution, um, you may you may get picked, even if you're not, you know, at the place you need to be. Uh, and so this is what where we have seen uh, companies do well. Uh, other opportunities uh, where we've seen we've seen exactly what I explained was some some companies are instituting um, consulting firms in the middle to help kind of be that liaison between the big guy and the little guy. Uh, that works too. Uh, but, but sometimes things get lost in translation. 
or you know the the you know the consultant may not be abreast or have all of the current data. Um, you know, you know things change, market change, which force companies to change. You know where they're really investing their time, energy, and resources to make something work. You know, and so um, sometimes that can have an impact on the little guy. You know, um, and the consultant company may not necessarily know that. So we've seen it all. Um, you know, and I shouldn't say we've seen it all, but we've seen you know different styles. Um, and, and and but I think it, more importantly, um, get in line, put your name in the hat for these programs because um, again, like I said before, it, 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 ex, uh, it, exposure expand expectation. Um, and if you don't know, uh, or if you've never been on that side in, in corporate world, been in some of those executive rooms, having that opportunity to talk with folks, it, it can really change how you think as a, um, as a builder as a creator, um, because more than more times than not, they've already been down that same that, that that same road that you're trying to travel with the resources that you're trying to acquire. So you can take a lot from them uh, and be able to kind of ex- accelerate your growth. Yeah, I want to kind of talk to that point. Meeting with executives, think through. You know, Pros has these ERGs, which is what sponsors the podcast. And then there's another ERG that I'm a part of. And it just allows you to be in a room with executives and just have conversations with them. I feel like those conversations just really accelerate people's career projections. And to your point, the exposure expands expectations. I, I, I usually hear it as you can't see or you can't be what you can't see. How would you encourage companies just like generally rather than working with like smaller startups, but just like internally to develop more of those programs and 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 more of that exposure for expectations. It's a, it's a very it's a very good question. You gonna put me on the spot, man? I see you. I see you. Um, look, I think when you no no one company can be great at everything. As as fantastic as Amazon is, and we all love Amazon for. The things that they do, Amazon don't own everything that 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 we receive from them, right? They don't own the the logistic company that deliver the products to our home. They don't own it. They they outsource that. It looks like they own it. They brand it well, but they don't own it, right? And so what I what what ultimately what I'm saying, Maddie, is, and I think companies do this already. But do they do it at a level where they take on more risk, and and that, and that and that's a that's a thin line because it can truly, in some cases, make or break some of those companies. So most companies that we know, they have kind of this um, minority supplier program, right? And, and they encourage small business and, and minority business to to get those contracts. Um, but it's, but most of them have a um, a a high bar to meet in order to 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 take on these companies, right? Because they minimizing the risk. Well, it's a it, startup companies are expanding and growing and, and really solving some major major issues. I would love to to encourage companies that may have um, challenges 
or uh, opportunities that they face to try to get outside of kind of what that box is and go into the community if they haven't already and go say, hey, this is a problem or solution that we are a problem we have and we're looking for a solution. And we're willing to, to partner with a startup company to help us solve this who already may be working on it, right? Or just cast the, the problem and allow the community to hack against it, create a hackathon for that solution. Um, and I think that would encourage, that would help invite more, you know, um, startups to be involved with those medium-sized, large companies. Um, and that would encourage community. That would encourage us, you know, from a state perspective and encourage us, you know, ultimately go globally. Um, but we can't solve what we can't see, right? And so I think that is the um, the way I think that you know um, companies can encourage founders or encourage those relationships is by exposing some of the things that they can expose. We obviously some things that you know we the, the public won't have privy to, but for the things they do have privy to, how do you take those things down to the local level? and see if there's a startup company that is solving that problem and bring them on board for a proof of concept or bring three companies and create a, a contest for them to solve it in, the, in a hackathon type way. Yeah, no, I love this because I'm taking the perspective of the, I'm gonna talk, I put it in the comments, but taking the perspective of the podcast being like a company, um, pros partnered with a high school in Houston and we gave them a business case and we used the podcast to give them a business case and it was for underrepresented students, primarily black kids. And the business case was how can pros effectively communicate the podcast to their employees and kind of just externally um, and just to see their ideas, right? So like if you look at the students doing this thing as a startup and us as the business, that partnership work, and they gave us a lot of really great ideas and we exposed them to technology. Um, I, I, I really like that. I, I would like to see more of those programs kind of just like, at, at a higher level. The pros also sponsored a few of the University of Houston hackathons. Um, I was able to judge last year and it's kind of the same thing. You, you, um, you, you kind of pitch up a, an idea or like, Hey, can you solve this problem? And then you just get like a variety of uh, responses from the, from the contestants that, um, that's the fun part for me. It's kind of seeing the cre creativity, which I, I don't know, always gets associated with, you know, being a technologist, um, the creativity that comes with it. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, Kylie, that's an invitation and for people to get involved and um, kind of, um, you know, stick their foot in the door and kind of like, I'm interested in this. This company is also um supplying this opportunity and kind of meeting in the middle there. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, one thing I, I would say too is we've seen um, pictures of this or we've seen it um, in a way that big companies have have tried to, to do this, right? I think about my time at, at Frito-Lay. They use their um, marketing on their bags to help encourage new product innovations. So uh, at one point they had like a chicken and waffles lace potato chip, 
Um, th this came from the customer, right? They take these entries, they do these million dollar contests or whatever, right? Whatever's one gets selected, they be, this becomes. So that, that, that is a form of product innovation, right? Utilizing the general public to help influence uh, uh, what, what's, what's to come next. I think that's great. Um, but, but, but how do we create sustainability in terms of um, having economic impact, right? You know, and so like, hey, we want to go work with a company who may have a, you know, a, a lab that can help, you know, turn these products into seasonings. And then we'll use that seasoning then to, you know, uh, be the next product innovation. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of rifting now. But but you get my, my point in creating the economic or the sustainability at a local level that will help drive small business, that will help drive jobs um, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, impact families. Um, and, and I think that's how we have to think about uh, the ecosystem. And so I hope that companies you know, we'll, we'll take the opportunity to go into the local community, um, see what innovations uh, are at the table, or begin to ideate with some of the brightest, smartest, youngest minds um, in that city, uh, in that town, to help drive their business forward. It's now time for the heat check. The Heat Check is where the Interface crew shares an interesting or hot topic happening in, in the technology space or black culture. Uh, Maddie, I'm going to pick on you to go first today. Oh, now I'm on the other side of being picked on. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, you know, AI is all the rage these days. I, I can't escape anything. I'm on the internet, Twitter, whatever. It's all AI, AI. Um, it also helps that we work for an AI company. But yeah, the title of this article is AI is dreaming up drugs that no one has ever seen. Um, now we get to see if they work. And this is a technology review from MIT. Um, so yeah, so the article talks about how today on average, it takes more than 10 years and billions of dollars to develop a new drug. Um, and then there's a vision of AI to, to make drug discovery faster and cheaper. Um, so really this what they do is they take samples and they run the samples through kind of automation to test a bunch of variations of molecules to see if that works. Um, yeah. And they're focusing on three uh, key failure points in the drug development, which is picking the right target for the body, designing the right mo molecule for it to interact with and determining which patients um, would, this would most likely help. And so with machine learning, using vast amounts of data, including the drug and how the molecules look, um, they can build complex models automatically and it makes it faster and easier to predict how drugs might behave in the body. Um, so a lot of quick early experiments with technology. Um, and yeah, the goal of most AI powered approach to drug design is to just to navigate the vast possibilities and quickly figure out which molecules will tick as many boxes as possible. Um, but still, um, it's still a challenge, right? Because like tish tissues, drugs uh, and affecting tissues outside of the body, you, you really don't know how those drugs are going to affect the whole body as a, as a complex system. So you can't just completely take away the human element and the testing and the validating, um, but the, the possibilities to just create something very quickly and then go into the next realm of testing 
uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see kind of what is going to come from that. And yeah, so I'm a, I'm a biology major. Uh, so yeah, I had to pick something that kind of touches that itch. Any thoughts? Did, concerns? did they, did they mention whether this is to reduce the amount of like animal testing or is there a particular disease they're hoping this could, um, you know, help with? Yeah. So the use case is it's going to cut down the need for lab work. So for the mm -hmm. drug discovery part, but no. So, so look, I, I have, I have some thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. I think the, you know, the acceleration process that I talked about, you know, failing fast, I think that's kind of where we are with whole AI and, and operationalizing, you know, the artificial intelligence, the machine learning, all of that stuff. I think it's a necessary evil. Um, and when I, when I say that, um, I think we have to pick and choose where we should use, you know, uh, these technologies. Now, when it comes to medicine, medicine is a science. Right. But 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 within that science, there are lives. If, if we think about medicine, you know, for people, there's a life on the other end, end of that medicine. And so, yes, the data is real. Yes, the data comes from different trials. Yes, the data comes from, you know, people, uh, you know, uh, responding to the medication. And right. We just accelerating how all that data is mixed together or formulated to create a new medicine. But I think we should slow down when we begin to test it on people versus you know, trying to get it into market, right? And I think that's where FDA will probably, you know, create those speed bumps to make sure that it is safe. Um, you know, um, because I think, you know, being African-American, we, we learn about the Tuskegee uh, um, trials that happened, you know, back in the day, right? And, and, and that was an impact to a whole community of people, right? And, and in some cases with the pandemic, that, that brought back a lot of trauma, Right. And so, you know, we don't want to create another, you know, scary time in medicine, you know, um, for that. So I respect science being the engineer, but then I, but I also uh, I'm cautious on like how we take it and, and go to market. I, 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 um, uh, yeah, I think because it's, 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 it's lives that are at stake. Um, and I think we just got to think about that. Yeah, cautiously optimistic. From my understanding, the use case is really, um, say, for example, I I take some of your skin cells, right, and I design this this drug outside of you know, or in the lab, and then I test the drug, and then it, it might fail, and then I have to take more, maybe more skin cells or or cultivate those skin cells, whatever that process is, and then I test another drug. Well, the process would be doing that online or like using technology to just test as Virtually. many variations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, oh, see what works. Let's try that. Um, and then that would move through human trials. You still have to go through all of that stuff. But I think the initial heavy lift of let me test as many things as possible using samples to see what works because something might work. You know, you have like heart cells or whatever cells and you test a drug specifically for that, um, whatever it's going to do. And it works perfectly. But then you test it on on lab rats and then it turns out when you ingest this drug yeah it saves your heart but it completely shuts down your lungs you don't want to move forward with that right so i think the test the tests are still there um and it's not i think the it definitely sensationalizes ai i think there's a lot of 
um, education that needs to go around for a lot of people with how AI and machine learning even works. Um, but just the simple, the, the, the act of let me get as many tests as possible very quickly and then move forward with the ones that might be viable um, and just kind of save time and, and money that way. Yeah. Yeah, that would be diff very useful. Okay. I will go next. Um, I watched a video on cash systems. Every developer should know. What do you guys know about caching? I'm going to pick on you guys. What is caching? I know I have to clear or it sometimes. <laughs> it messes well, with my password. Uh, I, look, I, I'm not going to pretend that I know. So you got you to gotta enlighten, enlighten the audience, including myself. Yes, I will. I will. So there's various different types of caching and I work on a real time product. So it definitely comes into play when we're um, evaluating things and responding in 700 milliseconds, right? This caching is basically some method of storing something now to save or later because we know people are going to ask for the same information over and over again. So, you know, it could like, in your browser, right? If you go to the same pages all the time, it might cache some images so that when you go to that page, it doesn't take a minute to load the page. Um, uh, this video kind of went through the various different ones, right? Your hardware is caching things in memory, your browser, the client and the browser is caching things, application servers are caching this, databases are caching other things. So I thought it was pretty interesting and it just kind of popped up somewhere in my feed. And since caching is kind of a big deal for my team. I was like, oh, let me click on this and see if I know this stuff. And I definitely learned some stuff because it was nice because it went from basically from the hardware all the way, you know, to other aspects of, of an application. So I'll post that link on there for anyone in our show notes for anyone that's interested. But it was a bite bite go YouTube channel, which I just discovered. And there's a lot of interesting um short videos. Like this one is like five, five minutes, 47 seconds. So chunk size for all of us who have short attention spans, um, chunk size information. Kylie, do you have anything you, you'd like to share? You know what's interesting? Being in financial services, I'm going to keep it there. I'm, 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 I want to talk this, this whole thought about the world of, of banking. Mm -hmm. the, world, the world of banking at all levels, right? And so, I mean, recently we, we, we uh, unfortunately news that, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, went through kind of shutting down and that was an unfortunate situation. And, you know, I hope the outcomes are good for the people that have been involved with that, particularly the, the customers. But when I think about banking as a whole, it's like it is changing fast. Um, we have this thing called neobanks. Kind of small, agile, you know, uh, banks that are developing and and they serve a great purpose, right? And it's 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 more of a communal. It's it's technology driven, right? It's it's thinking about kind of the unbanked and the underbanked, which is so powerful and impactful. Um, and so definitely shouts out and, and applaud all of the folks that's kind of working on developing neo banks. Um, but then also you have these larger banks who you know, are playing in this sandbox of 
uh, with the regulators, right? And the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the, the OCC regulators, the FDIC, like you have that. So, so that's the spectrum, right? Um, and, and, and in some cases, we all have access to those things. But then there's another uh, on the peripheral of kind of the banking system, and, you know, as I just described, there are big calls or big companies um, who are essentially becoming banks and before eyes. And so what does it look like? Uh, so if you think about Starbucks, uh, I'm sure a lot of Starbucks, uh, you know, folks that may be listening to have a cappuccino. In 2022, just last year, Starbucks added uh, $5 billion. That's a B, $5 billion of their customers' money uh, to uh, as a as a as a as a line item or a, a stream of revenue uh, for the customers to buy a latte, you know, using their app. So just imagine this five billion dollars are now sitting on their balance sheet, and they can do essentially whatever they want to do with it. They now become ah. a bank, mm-hmm. right? They have a pool of money just sitting there, interest like it's their money. Are you saying like you have an account with Starbucks and you're like, oh, let me put $20 on my card, but until I spend it. That's right. It's let me spend Starbucks. $20 on my card. Yeah. Let me, you know, on my app because I go buy this, you know, think about mm-hmm. your cachet example, right? I go buy my latte every day. Let me just put $100 on here because I, I, I spend $100 a month anyway. Let me just sit $100 in. So people are doing that, mm-hmm. right? And now we almost make Starbucks a bank. And no knock against Starbucks. This is just the evolution of technology, evolution of you know, products and solutions that customers uh, you know, are asking for. Whether it's Starbucks or we think about Fortnite, the game, a lot of people play their games, a lot of in-app purchasing that happens, right? Um, mm-hmm. The way uh, Starbucks, you know, plays in the digital wallet space or the microtransaction space and the, the Fortnite's or in-app purchasing, or you think about Apple getting into the whole buy now, pay later, right? Th- this is kind of a, this is not a bank, but they are creating what one consider a banking solution or banking product, right? Big companies are now playing on the peripherals or in the shadows of banks, becoming banks. So, you know, to the to the point is how is banking changing or how will it change in the future? So being in that space, this is what we're thinking about. Right, mm-hmm. um, and because it, it's impactful. So Starbucks, you know, accumulated five billion dollars in 2020. Fortnite, I think they did uh, like two billion dollars in, in in transactions, and you know, Apple setting up buy now, buy now, pay later. Right. So again, these are three different companies, three different industries, what are providing alternative payment measures, or methods, or options, more flexibility, more choice for the customers to have an experience. With that big company, and so what I what it what it results to is if I'm putting a hundred dollars in Starbucks, or I'm I'm you know putting a hundred dollars on Fortnite, or I'm I'm using now Apple to pay by now pay later. What is the impact to our local bank? What is the impact to that that community bank or that credit union? What is the mm-hmm. impact? What is that then? How does that then change? Uh, you know. Uh, everything else that we depend on the bank for. Will banks be around? Will they 
I don't know, will they merge with big companies? It's, it's just so much to think about. Uh, and so right. that, that is, I guess, I guess what you call it, the hot seat. Um, the hot <laughs> heat seat. check. Heat check. That's the heat check, rather, um, that uh, that I would have for the audience is to, just to think about that for a second. Big companies are becoming becoming banks. So how would that change? That, yeah. That was not on my radar at all. I was not thinking about that. So you've enlightened me for sure. I'm, I'm going to think about it. And then as, right, as, you know, maybe a Starbucks is going to partner with, you know, a, a well-known bank, or maybe there's going to be groups of things partnering with this. And then you've got, you know, monopolizations here or there, or turned into Apple versus Android. Think about this. Oh, this, this is the last point I want to make here. It's some countries that don't have $5 billion in GDP. Uh, It's some countries that don't have five, like, you know what I mean? That, that is, that's something to think about. Right. Um, And again, it's no knock to uh, Starbucks or Fortnite or to Apple. It's just, it's a, it's a different approach into banking and how, we will engage in the in 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 the economy. That's that's really and because people want more flexibility and more choice. And look, I I I say that and I gotta plug spend it because you know we we are a, a new payment solution that offers more flexibility and choice as well as well. And so um, this is the hot seat. Uh, the heat check, excuse me, the heat check moment that that I'm asking myself as a leader of a, a fintech company and uh, as I think about the market. So, Well, that's a good segue. If people want to learn more about Spendet or you, how can they contact you? Yes. Yeah, so I can be found uh, on LinkedIn, Kylie Summers, um, if you want to contact me on a personal level. Uh, but if you want to learn more about Spendet, um, that is S-P-E-N-D-E-B-T. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Spendat. You can find us on LinkedIn at Spendat. You can find us on Twitter. Um, and um, and you can find us on Instagram. But only on Instagram, it is it's underscore Spendat. I-T-S underscore Spendat. Um, but I would love to engage with you. I would love to uh, extend this conversation maybe on some questions or ideas or thoughts that you have based on some things that were shared on this uh, podcast, I would love to, to, to engage further. Also, I would love for you to try spend it absolutely free for the first 30 days. I'd be remiss if I didn't offer you the opportunity to try uh, spend it. Um, again, we are a financial technology company helping people pay any consumer debt that you may have, uh, helping you to pay that every time you swipe your debit card or have a banking transaction. And remember, you are in control. Um, and our mission is to help save a million families. And so uh, we would love to support you in any way we can. And, and uh, we'd love to engage with you. Great. Thank you so much, Kylie. Um, thank you for being our guest. Um, thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, drop us a line at interfacepodcast.pros.com or find us on LinkedIn. Please also rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening from. It helps the show tremendously, and we want your feedback to make the show better. 
we encourage you to go out and continue this conversation and even start your own. We'll meet you back here for the next episode from Mark Through Yours. Have a good one.